0: Okay, cool. All right. Yeah, so I chose that picture just because I thought it was funny. (laughs) But honestly, Eric is an example of someone who's bought in. So, you know, it really works. (laughs) Um, Marley, maybe, is bought in. We'll see. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Um, I'm going to just pray before we get started. So, Father. I ask that you would be able to transmit these convictions that you've given me to everyone that's here that's come to learn. Lord, thank you, Jesus, for these convictions that you've entrusted us with. Thank you, Lord, that you give them to us. Lord, may we steward these convictions well. Help us to be able to live them out. Help us to um, do these things that we're talking about this morning. Lord, I pray that this class would resonate and it would stay with us um, through this next year, that as we go out and build small groups, um, the things that I'm talking about this morning would happen. Lord, I pray that this class would be more than just uh, transmitting information. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal uh, the truths behind these convictions in our hearts in a way that just sticks in them, Lord, may they just resonate, may they just stay in our hearts. Father God, stir our hearts with these things that you've so lovingly entrusted us with. Thank you, Jesus, for your truth. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Okay, so yeah, we are going to look at really what, what does it take to lead people to be bought in and how how do you <coughs> yourselves be bought in? You know, it's, it's kind of a two-way thing and we're going to look at both of those um, really through the lens of my life. I'm going to be sharing a lot of how my process went in um, becoming more and more bought into the outpost. More and more bought into the vision of making disciples. More and more bought into the convictions. And basically, how, how did I get to where I'm at today? And why it's important that you guys are bought in. So, early on, there was this, I, when I got involved in Outposts, I was not a Christian. And I was really um, very hard-hearted towards Christianity, so when I met the guys, actually they met me, um, they found me, okay, I was in the student center, I was just sitting on a random bench waiting for my roommate to go to the bank, and a group of guys walked up that looked honestly like a fraternity, um, there was this guy Josh Nicholas, and at the time he had long hair, he just looked like a frat guy, and he was, he used to be, but <laughs> he still looked like a frat guy then, and he, they came up to me and they, they started talking, and I was like, you know, what are you guys, a fraternity? And they're like, no, we're, a, we're Christian ministry. And I was like, oh, that's even worse. <laughs> and I really didn't want to be part of what they had, but they invited me to hang out. They were like, hey, do you like steaks? And I was like, yeah. And so they, they, they took me to hang out at their house to grill steaks. And so that was one of my first interactions with them. And I remember early on And we were just sitting in the back patio of the house where some of the guys lived that had invited me to come hang out, some of the original staff members. And we were sitting in the back, and we were just sharing stories. And they were just talking about these moments that were honestly really funny. And it really jarred with my idea of what a Christian... Was or who a Christian is, because I thought being a Christian was the lamest, most boring thing ever. I, that was just the perception I had, and yet these guys were cracking jokes and honestly things that were like over the line. I was like, I don't, "Are you allowed to say that if you're a Christian?" And they. I remember um, this one guy, Andrew Murph. He he was talking about his teacher growing up, and we were talking. Somehow we got on the topic of teachers, and he was talking about this teacher who straight up look like Chewbacca and in class they would do the Chewbacca growl and this teacher had no idea, I mean this is bad, this is really sad guys, but also I still remember this, I remember laughing so hard because Andrew can do a really good Chewbacca growl and he would, they would just do it randomly, I don't know if any of you can but there we go, yeah, so they would just do that in class and the teacher would, he would always look around and not really understand why. Oh, I know, I know, I know. It's, it's sad, but hey, it got me laughing. <laughs> it got me laughing. And one of the, this is, okay, so this is a, a chi a truism. Love and laughter plow hard hearts. And I have a scripture reference here in Matthew 13, verses 1 through 23. And in this passage Jesus tells a parable about uh, different soils and he says there's different types of soil there's a seed that's sown the word of God and it's received differently depending on the condition of the soil that's straight up gardening 101 okay <laughs> if you're a gardener you know you've got to prepare your soil before you plant seed in it if you just go willy-nilly and just plant wherever you, you know wherever the seed may fall you'll get the results that Jesus talks about so what does a good gardener do? Before they plant seed. Chill. Yeah, they plow. They plow. Did you guys know, uh, a lot of times the perception that um, I think the church has is we just need to wait for the good soil to come along to us. And once it does, then great, we'll, we'll plant. But what we want to teach you how to do, what Kaiophe is about, is learning how to plow. You should be able to take horrible soil, thorny, rocky soil, remove all the stones Get all the thorn bushes out, get that soil nice and soft, and be able to plant seed in that. And so, how do you do that? Well, we we understand one of the best ways is through love and laughter. It really is, if you can get a hard-hearted person to laugh, their heart's already beginning to soften. Okay, because hard-hearted people don't like to laugh. They really don't, they're miserable. (laughs) And I was that, I was miserable. And so, by being able to be with these Christians... And being able to laugh with them was the beginning of my buy-in to Outpost. It really was. Um, the next thing that you all need to understand, and I'm just going to go through uh, basically everything I'm sharing this morning are Kai Alpha Maxims. So they're just ways of encapsulating convictions that we've come to learn. You know, these things are true. They work, and so they're, they're sayings that help you be able to repeat them. And there's something that we should utilize a lot. We want to say these a lot. We want you to know them. And so the next one I want to look at is that people rarely care what you have to say until they know that you care. People rarely care what you have to say until they know that you care. Let me ask you this. Are, when you go out to build your small group, are you doing this for them or for you? And that's going to be a question you're going to have to really wrestle with because you're being asked to go do this Responsibility, you're asked to go build a small group. Are you doing it for you because you've been asked to do it, because you're worried about failing? Because you're worried, you know, what if I don't find anyone? What if my group's lame? You know, are you worried about that, or are you doing this because you generally care about the people you're reaching out to? People will not buy into your small group. Let me just say this, people will not buy into your small group. They will buy into being loved, That's right. okay? People will not buy into an organization if you just come pitch, hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm part of this group, this Christian ministry called The Outpost, and we have small groups, um, and I would like you to be part of mine, um, the majority of people on campus are just not going to be interested. You might get lucky and find a person who grew up in the church who knows what small groups are and is looking for that, um, and we want to help you find those people, but they're few and far in between. The majority of people on campus do not care. So what do you do? Well, you have to love those people. People will buy into being loved. It doesn't matter how sinful they are. They will buy into being loved. We learned this especially this year in our resource group. It it just has been the theme of our year. If you will just love people well, the buy-in will take care of itself. If you will just focus on loving people as best as you can, doing everything you can for their sake, not having the agenda of getting them into small group, which it's a good thing for them to be in small group, but there's still an agenda there. There's still this idea, like and people catch the drift. You're trying to pitch something to them. You're trying to get them to do your thing. But what is love, right? Love is Jesus saying, I came not to be served, but to serve. Okay? That's love. Giving all, giving it away. Whether they whether they will reciprocate or not, that's love. And so that's how people actually buy in. It's just by being loved really well. Dylan Early on in the fall, he met a group of guys um, through Capture the Flag, and they were friends. And uh, they were just um, doing their thing, and he was messaging them because he was wanting to get them involved in the small group, you know, he was pursuing them. And they were going bowling, and there's it was just a Saturday afternoon, they were going to go bowling together, and Dylan invited himself along <laughs> and just said, hey... Um, you know, he took a shot. He's like, they could totally never talk to me again because um, Dylan's like six or seven years older than them, and you know, he's asking to go bowling with them, and they barely know him. But he just took he took a risk. But he, but the thing was, is that Dylan didn't go, "Hey guys, why don't you come be part of my small group right away?" The thing he did is he said, "What are you guys doing? I want to be part of that. I want to join you guys in that." So he just went bowling with these guys, and they they started out as friends. This is so important. They started as friends first, and then over time, Dylan became their mentor or their, or their small group leader, however you want to put that. But Dylan didn't start as their small group leader. He put himself on equal footing with them by being a friend, by just going bowling with his friends. You see how it's so important how you approach it, um, because that makes all the difference in whether people buy in or not. Um, okay, next one is how you win them is how you keep them. How you win them is how you keep them. Um, how many of you are here at, at Alpost because you came looking for Chi Alpha? Show of hands. Val, you don't count. <laughs> you're, you're in Oklahoma. <laughs> you knew what Chi Alpha was. Anyone else? No. Okay, th- why? Why are you here? Why are each of you here today? Because someone came looking for you. Someone came and found you. Okay, every single one of you, someone, and let me tell you about that someone, someone was scared when they did it. They were worried about getting rejected. They were nervous. They were stepping out probably on campus for the first time and they risked their reputation in order to find you. That, that's really what happened. Um, every one of you here has a small group leader who loves you. That's why you're here. Every single one of you that's here, you have a small group leader who loves you. And that's why you're sitting in this room. If the reason why you're here is because you're so grateful someone did that for you, then we have done our job. Okay. If the reason why you're here at LTC, at this retreat, if you're going through this class, getting ready to become small group leaders, is because you're just grateful that someone would do that for you. That's, that's how we want to win people. Okay. We want to win people by pursuing them, by loving them. If we try to win people through uh, attracting them to our awesome <laughs> events, our events have to always be awesome to keep the people with us. And let me tell you, the church is in this predicament a lot of times. You know, I'm thinking of like mega churches. The production has to be top notch or because that's how they've won the people. Most of the time, that's how people have been won to the church. It's just the worship's so good. The preaching is so good. You know, We're not winning people that way. <laughs> because we don't want to keep people that way. We're winning people through love and pursuit. And let me tell you, you're going to always be loved and pursued in this ministry. Even as you become small group leaders, if you choose to become small group leaders and do that, you're going to have a resource leader who's going to keep pursuing you, who's going to keep loving you. And so if that's the reason why you're here, good news, it's going to keep happening. And that's how we want to continue propagating our ministry is we want it to we just want that to continue. Somebody reached out to you, somebody did that for you, now it's your turn to go do that for someone else. Um, Yeah. Okay. Next one is Love Finds a Need and Meets It. Love finds a need and meets it. This is one of my all time favorite photos. I think I think forever this will be one of my favorite photos. This is our van um, and Eric Sanquist helped with all these people you see in this photo to pitch in and buy us this van. Uh, they bought this van for our family. Um, we had not even mentioned our need for a vehicle, but we had a need. Um, we had just had a, our second child, Cohen. Now we have a third kid, so we definitely need a van. Um, and uh, they they did this for us. They actually, it was really funny. I was sitting in our house. and. One of the guys called me and told me he left something outside to come and get it. And I walk outside and they were all hanging on to the van and on top of it. And they drove up on our driveway <laughs> or on our grass. I mean, on our lawn. <laughs> um, but yeah, this, this, this picture means so much to me because they loved us. This is, this is a picture of love. Mm-hmm. They found a need and they met it. Mm-hmm. So isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. That's what love is. They found a need, and they met it. They didn't wait for us to ask. They didn't wait for us. They just did it. That's what that's what it looks like to love people. Um, Jake, my small group leader, early on when I was, okay, so I I had the love and laughter thing going. Uh, I was still really standoffish. I was still really didn't want to really buy in. Uh, but one of the things that he did is he loaned me his really expensive guitar pedal board. And if you guys know anything about guitar pedals, you, you realize that those are really expensive. And he had like 20. <laughs> I mean, it was a massive board. And I, um, he just loaned it to me. He just let me use it. He hardly knew me. I mean, we'd probably been friends for like a month. And I and honestly wasn't a good friend to him. Like, I just used him um, for my own gain. But he loved me. And he, he gave what was his became mine. And so I was. Um, I even like lugged that thing around to Alley Cat. Used to have an open mic night. It's back. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. They used to have this open mic night. Now they have it again, and it was it was terrible. Um, maybe it's better. Maybe that's why they they shut it down and they re, revamped it a little. But. I, I brought this super expensive guitar pedal board. I, uh, my friend and I were playing at this open mic night, and I couldn't get it to work. <laughs> and here I was with my giant, dumb, expensive, you know, guitar pedals, and I, I couldn't get them to work. And it was really embarrassing. But Jake loaned that to me, and it's amazing. But it, that was just love finding a need and meeting it. You know, like I, I, I genuinely enjoyed using it. Um, there are ways that you can go above and beyond. When you love people, There's the sky's a limit. I want you all to be creative in how you love people. Find those ways. Find the things that people are not doing for that person. They're, they're, they have needs. Everyone has needs that are not being met. The university cannot do everything. <laughs> CSU cannot do everything. They can do almost everything. <laughs> they can feed you and, and clean your bathroom for you. Um. They, uh, there's a few things that they can't do, though. <laughs> and so find those things that they, that they need that no one else is doing for them. Just You have to really get to know people to love them this way. You have to really understand what makes them tick, what they're all about, and you need to be paying attention. right? If, if someone tells you what they're interested in, make a note of that. And begin brainstorming ways of, of creatively doing that for them. Okay, Okay. another way um, that we create buy-in is by making memory. Okay, making memory. Um, this is another photo that I love. This was my uh, second year leading small group. Uh, this was during Welcome Week. And the guy sitting in the back seat, um, Brian, was somebody that I was pursuing for my small group. I met Brian during the dorm movements uh, on a Wednesday. And we initially hit it off. And I knew it was going to take some work to win Brian. I was I wanted him to buy in. He grew up with a Christian background, but that didn't guarantee he would eventually join my small group. And there were also other small group leaders that saw Brian and were trying to go for him. And I was playing some defense too. <laughs> I was like, No, stay back. <laughs> this guy's mine. And I was praying. I was like, All oh, welcome. I kept praying. I was like, Lord, I want Brian. I want Brian. I want Brian. I just knew like if I had this guy in my small group, it was going to make all the difference. He he, I saw potential for him to be a core peace in my small group. And so I was just praying for him and I just wanted him in my small group. And one day he was talking about how him and his roommate wanted a couch in their dorm. Okay. And you guys know, like they lived in Braden. I mean, you know how small those rooms are, but they wanted a couch. That was his dream. He like his college dream was to have a couch in his dorm room. (laughs) And so I was like, let's do it. Let's make it happen. And the only place I really knew where to get a couch was Habitat for Humanity. So we drove down there. They have a resale store on Harmony and Taft. And so we drove there in my Dodge Caliber, that tiny little four-door sedan, little hatchback. And uh, we got there, and they picked out a couch. And I had not thought through how we were going to actually get the couch back to campus. So we set it on top of the van. And you see there, the guys are reaching out with lanyards. We have lanyards hooked around. You know the freshman lanyards everyone gets? Yeah, their lanyards are hooked around those couch legs. And we drove it all the way back from Harmony and Taft back to campus like that, with our arms out the window holding on, okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't fall off. It made it all the way back. And they, I don't know what they did with it after that year, but that couch ended up in their room. And um, Brian, that, that memory was critical in just winning Brian's heart and it really was it was just it was like he wasn't doing that with anyone else nobody else was going out of their way to go get a couch with him so so be just be willing to, to do anything <laughs> be willing to to just go for it you know don't worry about you know is this going to work out or not just just do it um that the girl that's actually sitting next to Brian in the back seat Jackie um she was ra- she was just a random freshman girl that he invited to come along and she ended up becoming involved in a small group and became a small group leader in Outpost too. And that's you know? why Kellen's here. Why here. Yep. So look at that. The couch helped hit <laughs> Kellen, Eric, you can, you can thank me later. <laughs> 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 you see? You see how these little, these, just making a memory, it has such a profound impact. So make a memory. Do something outlandish. Do something creative. Just be thinking, like, okay, how can we go do something no one else is doing, and do it with them? Um, we have numerous examples of that. If you need help, uh, the couch—you know—the a lot of couches actually. Now that I think about it, yeah. putting skis on a couch, we put wheels on a couch, we put a grill on a couch. Flaming <laughs> tennis balls is another way. Um, <laughs> we haven't done that on a couch yet. This next fall, I want to—I want to see somebody do flaming tennis balls on a couch. Rolling on oh, the street. Motorized couch. <laughs> motorized couch. There we go, Gary. There we go. And we throw one off the cliff? Yep. Okay. Next is, why do you do the things you do and who do you do them for? Okay. Um, this is uh, one of my favorite maxims. This is one that is a great question for like a first small group meeting. Why do you do the things you do? So, uh, so seldom do people think about that. So seldom do people stop to think, what is my motivation? And motivation is everything. Motivation is everything. There is a difference when you're talking about buy-in. And I want to talk about this and relate it to you, to you all. There's a difference between wanting to do something and having to do something. Okay. Maximum buy-in, total commitment, comes when you want to do it. When the things you're being asked to do are the very things you want to do, your commitment is at its highest. When the things you're being asked to do are things you're just having to do, but not necessarily what you want to do, you're going to struggle. Okay, And so your motivation needs to be, I want to do this. Okay, Not I have to do this. That's the gospel, right? Gospel motivation is, I want to love Jesus. Not because I'm supposed to, but because I genuinely love him. That's the motivation for anything in the Christian life, including being a small group in the outpost. Making disciples should be something you want to do. Um, our culture's inability to commit is rooted in discontentment. Our culture has an inability to commit. I don't know if you guys have realized that. It does. Our culture has a really hard time committing because I believe it's rooted in discontentment not being grateful, and when you're discontent, you are always thinking, my contentment will come from a circumstance I don't currently have, maybe there's something out there that will make me feel happier, maybe there's something out there that will be better, maybe there's something on the horizon that, that, you know, I just need to keep my options open, because what if I commit to this thing and something better comes along that would have made me happier, that's discontentment. You see, because contentment, as Scripture tells us, is not based on circumstance. Which is where we get this verse in Philippians, this radical verse. Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in all things, whether having much or having little. Where does he say this? Does anyone have an idea where he's at when he writes this? He's in a dungeon. <laughs> Amazing, right? What? He's in a dungeon and he says, I have learned to be content. (laughs) Clearly, he's content in the dungeon. Um, If you have a hard time with commitment, just in general, if you have a hard time with commitment, let me say this to you. You have not yet learned how to be content in all things. And it's amazing, isn't it, that Paul says he learned it. The Apostle Paul learned. Didn't come naturally. Wasn't overnight Realization for him. You know, he had things in his life that were supernaturally revealed to him. He he got to witness the third heaven. He got to see and, and hear things that he couldn't even write down. But something that Paul had to learn and learn the hard way was contentment. As we all do. <coughs> Learning contentment it, it takes time. But that's the that's the secret to commitment is contentment. Saying, you know what, I wherever I'm at, I'm gonna be so thankful. Wherever I'm at, you know, if something better came along, so be it. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to feel like I'm missing out. You could put it this way. The fear of missing out will steal your joy and it will give you doubt. The fear of missing out will steal your joy and give you doubt. Okay? So to combat that, practice contentment. How could Paul be content in a prison? There's a difference between having the mentality of a victim and having the mentality of a victor. A victim says, I'm in handcuffs, and I want to get out. I wish I could get out of my present circumstance. Whatever those handcuffs are, the handcuffs of time, busyness, um, a class that you don't like, (coughs) a roommate that is uh, hard to deal with, whatever those handcuffs are, a victim says, I can't deal with this. I wish my situation was different. Mm -hmm. A victor says, I'm handcuffed, and I'm going to use this, To my advantage. So Paul said, hey, even though I'm in chains and I'm I'm handcuffed here, this is actually working out pretty good for the gospel. And he he, he says so much. He says the gospel is actually being advanced better that I'm in prison than before. (laughs) Because it's edifying the saints. It's encouraging the believers to speak out on behalf of Christ. It's encouraging suffering. On behalf of Christ, because they see their leader, Paul, willing to suffer and be imprisoned prison for their sake. And so they, they're encouraged and they're edified and the gospel actually is going forth. Not only that, the gospel ends up being preached in a Roman prison. Uh, we, we understand that some of Caesar's household gets saved because Paul, what does he do when he's in prison? He, he's still going to preach the gospel. Yeah. Jailers are getting saved. Uh, other, other prisoners are getting saved. Right. And so he's saying, look, these handcuffs, I'm not waiting to get free again. I'm going to use this to my advantage. Be a victor and not a victim. Okay, that makes all the difference. That's that's so important to learning how to do this in a way that you want to do this. You know, so when you have moments, when you're asked to do things, maybe by Nate or by your resource leader that you don't necessarily want to do, The way you you overcome that is contentment. Practice contentment. You know what? Um, I'm thankful that I get to do this. I'm thankful that I'm being asked to step out in this way. I'm I'm just going to practice gratitude. And as you do that, your level of buy-in is going to increase. Okay, next, uh, we want to minister to their hearts. We want to minister to their hearts. This requires um, the Holy Spirit. This is where the Holy Spirit needs to help us. Um, there's a really interesting story. If someone has uh, their Bible, if you could turn to Luke chapter five. <coughs> Actually, everyone turn to Luke chapter five. I'm going to read it. And in verse one. This is this is early on when Jesus is calling. Four of his first disciples to leave everything and follow him. Now you have to understand something here in the Gospels. The Gospels are not written chronologically. Okay, so when you the events are not necessarily told in the order that they happened. They're they're told as fragments of moments that happened in the life of Jesus. And the intention of the gospel writers was not to create a biography of Jesus, but to create a sort of sketch of his life and his teachings and his miracles so that we may believe. And so they, they they weren't concerned with the chronology, but it's important for us to understand that because when we read the narrative of Jesus calling the disciples, a lot of times it seems very abrupt. It almost seems like they were strangers to him, and Jesus just showed up and was like, hey, follow me. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's just go. <laughs> and it, it's like so weird because it's like, wow, maybe it was just the sheer awesomeness of his divinity that compelled them to leave everything. But actually, if you study the Gospels and you look at the narrative, Jesus was pretty familiar with these guys and they had known him already before he called them to leave everything. In fact, the first thing that Jesus calls them to is just to know him. It's really cool. He just calls them to be friends. The first thing he calls them to is not responsibility. It's not to full-time discipleship. It's just, hey, come and see, is what he tells them. Come and see. Come Come and get to know me and they have dinner with him. And they're convinced after that day with Jesus that he is the Messiah. And it says that they begin to follow him, but they're still fishermen by trade. So they're following Jesus. Their hearts are with him, but they're not not going with him everywhere he goes at this point. So Jesus comes back to Galilee. He's just gone to Jerusalem. He's just had an incredible uh, time of ministry there. He comes back to Galilee to his fisherman friends. And now he's going to call them to leave everything. So that's where we pick up in the story, verse 1. So it was, as the multitude pressed about to hear him, Jesus was really popular at this point. People knew about him. To hear the word of God that Jesus stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Um, something Just a quick note about that. The nets uh, that they used, they because they had been fishing all night and they had not caught anything, um, probably means there had been a really bad storm. And so the nets needed mending. And they also would have been full of sand. Okay, So they, the only thing they really caught was not fish, but sand. They just caught this inconvenient thing that they had to fix and work out. And so they're they're busy mending their nets after a long night. He says, Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Peter's, and asked him to put out a little from the lamb. And Jesus sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they were both began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken." And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Okay, what's happening here in this story is more than just a miraculous catch of fish. Jesus had told the disciples earlier, before this moment, I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He had told them that. And the disciples vaguely understood what that meant. And in Peter's heart, there was probably a feeling of fear that he was not equipped for this task, that he was not going to catch men, that he was not going to be successful in fishing for men for the kingdom. There was a fear rooted deeply in Peter's heart. And it was reflected in the the night of um, unproductive fishing. You know, that was... they weren't astonished just because they caught a ton of fish. The thing that got their hearts is Jesus read their hearts. He saw right into Simon Peter's heart, saw that fear, and he said, Peter, I'm going to prove it to you. You're going to do this. Let's go. Let's catch a bunch of fish. And when they catch the fish, it it was was symbolic to Peter. It was Jesus saying to him, you are going to make this happen. And it's going to be through me. And so for all those years, you have to imagine, Judaism had been preaching the words of God, the scripture, the Old Testament, and it had been like fishing all night and and having empty nets. It had been empty nets. Nobody was being caught. Nobody was being brought into the kingdom. Nobody was being pulled out of their circumstances. It was just lowering nets and toiling for no result. And that's all Judaism had been. Up until this moment. But then Jesus is saying, it's going to be different from now on. From now on, this is going to really happen. And so he ministered to Peter's heart. He ministered straight to that fear. And that's why Peter is just totally undone in that moment. He's totally astonished. It's because he realizes Jesus knows him in a way better than anyone else does. And this is a key part of creating buy-in. You need the Holy Spirit to help you reach their hearts. You know, you can you can talk about all kinds of different subjects in small groups. You can there's so many things in the Bible you can describe and explain. But until you're actually answering the questions that are really in people's hearts, you're not really going to be reaching them. You've got to have insider information on what's really going on inside here, and there's only one person in the universe who has that. That's the Lord God. And that's the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, I have been helped greatly by the Holy Spirit to speak words that were so in line with what someone was thinking and feeling that they knew that was from God and not from me. And that's the kind of ministry we have to have. We have to minister like that. So you need a dependence on the Holy Spirit. Um, I remember I was at the Vineyard Church in in Fort Collins. I was going there while I was in college. And I had one of my small group guys. I think it was Brian actually was with me. I, I would bring him to church And after the service or the sermon had ended, there was a time of worship, and I was like, Brian, I think there's a guy over here the Lord's telling me to go talk to. And so we went over, and and this guy was sitting down, and he had his head down. And I had a word for him. I don't even remember what it was. I just had something the Lord wanted to speak to him. And immediately, this guy just starts weeping. And Brian is shocked. Brian has never seen this kind of thing happen. Um, He's never seen somebody be able to speak in a way that someone instantly just loses it. Why did that guy weep? It was because the Holy Spirit was putting his finger on the exact thing he needed to hear. Mm -hmm. I could not have done that. Even if I had tried. Even if I had wanted to. If I had said, I'm going to minister to this guy and I'm going to do my best to reach him. I could have just been talking about surface things that never really penetrated his heart. But just that one timely word... And this guy was totally undone. And he became someone I I was able to um, mentor and and walk with for a season (coughs) after that. You know, he was bought in. You talk about buy-in. Buy-in will happen like that if people will see that you are ministering to their hearts. And so we need the Holy Spirit to do that. We cannot do that on our own. Um, Yeah. I mean, I have so many stories of that. I have, uh, we have a guy, Alex Olvera, who, um, you know, just really early on had a a real hunger for the supernatural. And he really wanted to see God move through his life. And I remember getting to to take him out for the first time. um, As I was discipling him, I got to take him out and pray for people to be healed. And that's one of the assignments that you guys have this week, is praying for people. One of the things you can do is pray for people to be healed. And I remember there was this girl, Megan Parrish, she was a small group beater and she had broken her wrist at a Welcome Week event, unfortunately. It was a wheelbarrow race that she really didn't want to do, and her small group beater convinced her to do it, and she like messed up her wrist. It was really sad. Anyway, we were at a Christmas party, and Alex and I we prayed for Megan and she experienced like just this supernatural release of pain in her wrist. I mean, she freaked out and Alex freaked out because Alex had not seen God use him like that before. Alex went on to do much greater and more amazing things. than that Alex prayed for a guy in alley cat who was crippled and bound by a cane and who walked out with like Alex took his cane home. The guy walked out just completely healed. I mean, Alex went on to just become this powerful minister of God, but, but it was because ministry happened to Alex's heart. Alex needed to know he could do that. Inside of Alex's heart was a, was a longing to be used by God and a fear that he wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And when we had that supernatural experience at the Christmas party, let me tell you, Alex was bought in. Okay, So that's just another, there's so many examples of that, but we need to be pursuing that. Okay. I want to share uh, really quickly a story from Scripture. I'm not going to read the passage because it's a little lengthier, but um, basically in 2 Chronicles, which is the narrative of King David, there's a story of his. his he's with his mighty men. Excuse me, this is in 1 Chronicles. This would also be, uh, I think the same narrative might be in 1, Second Samuel as well. But there's a story where he's with his mighty men, you all familiar with King David and, and kind of his story? Basically, he's run for his life from King Saul. He's been anointed to be the next king, but he's not king yet. And so he's hiding to save his life. And a bunch of uh, punks, if you will, come and follow him. A bunch of out, outcasts, a bunch of guys that didn't fit in society. Um, some of them were, were like criminals. Some of them were just, uh, just bad men. But they went and they they joined David because here was an outcast who also was a leader, and so they go and they're in this cave and there are all kind of caves in Israel and they were in this large cave together, and David just sighs out of sort of a longing in his heart for a drink of water from Bethlehem. Bethlehem was where David grew up. You know, if you guys are away from home, especially in college, you know how like just a memory of something from back home can just be like, ah, oh, I just I wish I had. Whatever it is, when we were in Russia, it was always like, "Ah, oh, I wish I had Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had Chick-fil-A. But David has this longing for a drink of water. He just sighs, and he goes back to doing whatever he needed to do. Well, three of his mighty men hear that, and and they hear that sigh, and they they lean into each other, and they say, hey, what are we going to do about this? He he didn't say, uh, we should do it. <laughs> well, he didn't say we couldn't either. So they decide to go get him a drink of water from this specific well in Bethlehem, which we would understand would actually have been 8 to 10 miles away from their cave. So they go 16 to 20 miles, round trip, in enemy-occupied <coughs> territory, right? This is where the Philistines have the land. The Philistines have occupied this territory. They're enemies. These three guys risked their lives to go 16 miles to get a cup of water. You talk about buy-in, <laughs> Right? Why in the world would they do that? Why would someone risk their life for a drink of water just because David had mentioned it? This is why. Men will do more for love than for any other reason. Men will do more for love than for any other reason. Man, isn't that so true? More than for duty, more than obligation. Out of love. It's because these men just loved David. David. Do you know why they loved David? David was loved by his men because of how he loved God. The way you love God is the most attractive thing about you to this world. Trust me, the the passion that you have for Jesus. Duncan Chance, he used to be on staff here, he told me this early on in my walk with God. He said, Brent, the only thing you have to offer people is your love relationship with Jesus. That's all you have to give. But man, that's what people are looking for. And when they see that, you have an intense, authentic love for Jesus. They will follow you. They will love you. They will go where you go. They will will try things that they would never try otherwise. They have to see that you love him. (laughs) And when you're just sold out for Jesus, trust me, people are going to buy in. People are going to come around your life, and they're going to want to be a part of that. They're looking for that, though they don't say it or know that. People are always attracted to men and women of conviction. And if it's not us, it will be somebody else. There are, there are atheists with great conviction at CSU who, who can rally people to their cause. There are professors at CSU with great conviction who can find a following. We, if, if we're going to win people, we have to be people of conviction. These things that I'm presenting to you today, these convictions, um, these are ours. They belong to you, and we're being passed on to you. And so remember this, people will do more for love than for any other reason. And that applies to you as well. Um, The reason why you're going to become small group leaders, you know, why, again, why you're going to do this at all, why you would decide to commit to the outpost and buy in yourselves is going to be because of love. Okay, Um, next we have intrinsic value obligates. And let me just read this the, the short, short parable. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Hmm. How interesting that this man, he, he comes across something in this field he wasn't expecting. Something extremely extravagantly valuable. A treasure. A treasure so great... That out of joy, he goes and sells all he has. It was enjoyable for him to sacrifice everything else in his life to obtain something more valuable. Let me ask you a question. Is this guy crazy? No. That, that makes perfect sense. That, because you, every choice you guys make is based on value. Intrinsic value. Something that is intrinsically valuable, meaning objectively it has value it obligates us to choose that. It's the reason why something says, pick me and not something else. Why Jesus? Someone might ask you this. Why should I follow Jesus? Why him? Why, why, Why in the world, him over every other religious leader, every other religious system? Why Jesus? It's because of his value. Because Jesus Christ is a treasure unparalleled in the entire universe. He is a treasure so great that when we get hold of that fact, when we when our eyes behold how valuable Christ is, it is fun to give up everything else. Because you're like, this is trash in comparison. Man, I can't believe I used to live for these things. Because this is so awesome to follow Jesus. And so that, that principle works with buy-in. Um, that works with everything. I mean, I remember... When I met these guys, remember, I I wasn't bought in. When I met Outpost, I had no buy-in. I thought they were pretty interesting guys, but I had no desire to be around Christians. Here's the thing. I did not know when I first met Jake and Andrew and Tyler and Nate and the original staff. I didn't know how valuable they were. I had no idea. The value of what they had was unfolded to me over time. And as I began to grasp the value of it, my buy-in went through the roof, okay? I didn't realize, uh, I'm going to give you guys a quick history lesson, okay? I did not realize these guys came from a lame, I won't say lame, a uh, less than stellar university called Sam Houston State University (laughs) in Huntsville, Texas, maybe one of the weirdest places in the world, okay? Has 19 uh, state prisons. Death Row is there. So you hear the bell that uh, lets out the prisoners on their break, right next to campus. Like these, these blaring alarms go off. To, it's like it's like th- they go in and out, you know. Uh, death row. I think is there a bell for that? Like someone's about to die. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There was a, yeah. It's like it, it, the, the the people that live there are very interesting. There's slum lords. that that own like half the properties in the town. And one guy that, um, he has a religion worshiping plants. And so he doesn't allow anyone to cut their grass. So it looks like a jungle. Okay. And I mean, just weird stuff. Okay. The weirdest place ever. And yet out of that weird place, God forged these convictions that we have today. Um, Early on in the history of Chi Alpha at Sam Houston, they were just like any other ministry. There were nothing special, right? And when they were a size probably smaller than we are now, Eli Gotro had been at it. The campus pastor, he had been at it for a number of years, and he had actually been considering giving up. He had been thinking about throwing in the towel because um, nothing was really happening. They weren't really seeing the kingdom advance like they they thought. You know, when you start out a new ministry, you know, you, you're full of faith. You're full of passion. We're going to do this. We're going to take this campus for Jesus. And then when two years go by, you know, you still have the passion. But then three years and four years and nothing's really changing, you start to ask, you know, I wonder wonder if that vision was right. And by the time five, six, seven years rolls around, you're beginning to question, should I have done this at all? And that's where they were at. And a man named Daniel Savala, who um, has just an incredible legacy following Jesus. A man who has seen God move in incredible ways. He's actually never been married, but he's so intimate with Jesus. When, when guys go to his house, they can literally tangibly feel the presence of God manifested more powerfully than they've ever felt. Just because of how closely this man walks with God. This man, Daniel, somehow met Eli and said, Eli, even though Daniel I mean is much, much, much older, Daniel said, Eli, I will submit to you. I will honor you. I will serve under you. Eli was nobody. And this great man of God came and submitted himself to Eli's leadership. And that was a catalyst for Sam Houston changing. You want to know a second catalyst? A group of guys began to get hold of some of these convictions for the first time. They began to learn things like honoring others. And so they they, um, started practicing them. They learned that prayer is necessary. They started meeting together to pray in a dorm room. And one guy in particular, Steve Cutnow, he's currently a missionary in the Czech Republic. Um, he, he would just begin to weep for the campus. Duncan Chance told me the reason why Chi Alpha is the way it is at Sam Houston is because of the tears of Steve Cutnow. And there's a third reason. There's a third thing that happened. Eli says there was just suddenly, it, he, doesn't, he can't explain it, he can't take credit for it. Suddenly one year there was a generation of leaders just like you guys, a generation who just got it. <laughs> They just got it all across the board. Duncan was in that group, Andrew, Tyler, Jake. I mean, some of these guys that that, that came here and started the thing here, they got it. And so that early on, uh, not long after that, those things started to, to mix together, and they experienced basically a revival on their campus. They had so many students needing to get baptized. They were baptizing them in the fountain on campus, okay, they literally had to find water. <laughs> they couldn't wait until the next baptism service every semester because so many people were getting saved, and it just exploded. It just exploded. I mean, today it's well over 1,200, 1,500 students strong, still going, and it started off just just like just like this, and it, it was those things. And so th- this this team of people God sends them to to CSU, and that not only not only do they have these convictions, but they also have this friendship this incredible bond with one another that's been forged over 10, 15 years. Andrew and Duncan knew each other since kindergarten. (laughs) And and they come here to CSU to give us that. They came here to give us that. It was like the fire, the, the, the fire revival. God took the coals out of it and he took them over here to CSU and he gave us this. And when I began to understand that, I began to buy in. So... Let me tell you, it's so important, guys, that we tell our narrative. It's so important that we tell our narrative. It's so important that we know the story of where we come from. That's another way that we create buy-in. Tell our narrative. Hmm. What does it look like to be bought in? Um, Again, do do you want this? Do you want this? Do you love large group? I love large group, but I remember early on when I first started coming around, I didn't love large group because again, I wasn't a Christian and I was hard hearted and I was sitting in the back with my arms folded, skeptical of everything. I was so skeptical. I was so hard hearted, but the Lord thankfully changed my heart. And I remember coming back spring semester to those large group meetings. I remember what Nate preached on. Um, I remember worship. There are worship songs that I still go back to that define um, just this time in my life where I began falling in love with Jesus. And I fell in love with large group, and I still to this day love large group. I love, I still learn. Every large group, I learn something new about God. I can't wait to go to large group on Thursday nights. It's never a burden. It's a lot of work for us and the staff sometimes, but it's never a burden. I love it. Okay, do you love large group? Some of our greatest some of the greatest moves of God I've ever seen in my life have happened at our large group meetings. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard, one year we we had a a baptism service at Outdoor Outpost. Mm -hmm. And we brought the horse trough full of water, parked it on the street, covered it with a tarp. um, We preached a salvation message and then said, now let's do the next step right here. Let's get baptized. And so we had all the students went over around this horse trough and we had roughly 30 students get baptized in their clothes. No one, was, no one was expecting that night to happen. It was just a move of the Holy Spirit. Jesse, you know you guys know Jesse? Jesse got baptized that night. I'll never forget it. One of the most powerful conversions I've ever seen in our history in Outpost. Here was a girl who was deeply lost when we met her that, that welcome week. And a few weeks later, was there in that baptism in, in the waters, <laughs> just being washed clean. Came out a totally different person. And to this day, she's just such an amazing follower of Jesus. So I, that's large group. <laughs> large group is amazing. Small group is amazing. Do you love small group? Do you love missions? Do you love reading ODGs? If the answer is not sure or not yet, then do you want to do this? Do you want it? That was something Jake asked me when I was a small group leader. Let me tell you guys this you're going to be tested, your convictions are going to be tested your loyalty is going to be tested. You know, you might have an all-time high buy-in level right now, which is awesome, but I'm telling you, it doesn't matter who you are or how bought in you are, you will be tested in your commitment. It's just going to happen. And I, and I think one thing I can do a favor to you guys is just telling you that ahead of time. Um, I, I, My first year small group meeting did not go as expected. I met a bunch of guys who never responded, and I quickly wanted to throw in the towel. I thought I had more resolve than that, but I didn't. And I was trying to do it sneakily by going to another small group and just helping them. And my resource leader sat me down, Jake. I still remember where. I, it's so funny. I remember these moments. It was outside of McDonald's on College Avenue. I have no idea. Jake hates McDonald's. I have no idea why we're at McDonald's. <laughs> but we were sitting down outside of McDonald's and Brent, er, Jake just asked me the question, Brent, do you want to do this? And I knew he had caught me. <laughs> and I said, But I said, yeah, I do. I do, Jake. I, I, know I'm, I know I'm quitting and I'm giving up, but I want I want to do this. I do. He's like, okay, let's do this. Do you want to do it? That's, that's the most important thing. In moments where you're being tested and where you're thinking about maybe giving up or you're thinking maybe this isn't for me or maybe I can't do this. Do you want to? Yeah. That's going to sustain you. Yeah. When you're like, you know, I don't, I don't know if I can do this, but I want to. God can meet you there. He can work with that. In fact, I think he works better through that than any other way, okay? Do you want this? So I want to call you all to buy in to this group, to commit to Outpost, to commit to being all in with this ministry. Our campus is uncommitted to Christ and his cause. And if we want to see that change, we have to do the opposite. Here's the last maximum I'm going to share. Fight in the opposite spirit. Fight in the opposite spirit. If we're going to reach a campus that's uncommitted, we have to be radically committed. Okay. If we're going to reach a campus that has no commitment, every act of commitment that you do is moving the ball forward. It's moving. It's advancing the kingdom one step more. Every time you say in your heart, "I don't know if I can do this, but I'm still bought in. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for it," is is changing our campus. It really is. It's like. Have you guys ever been bushwhacking? Do you guys know what that is? When you, when you, when you go. in the forest, when you go hiking, sometimes you can hike without a trail. <laughs> My brother and I, we hiked Mount Harvard, a 14-er, and we decided to go a route where, where there was no trail. And so we had to bushwhack, which means basically you're going through giant brush and forest and streams and rocks, and you're just fighting your way through it all to get there. And and when you bushwhack, it's extremely hard work. It's very not, it's not fun. <laughs> it's really it's awful, honestly. Um, but what you're doing is you're leaving a trail, you're blazing a trail for someone else. Okay. And that's what we want to do. That's what, that's what your commitment and your buy-in does, is, is you blaze a trail. Okay. You blaze a trail for someone else. And that's, that's got to be in your, in our hearts. We're not just responsible to live out our convictions, but to also pass them on. We're not just responsible to live out these convictions ourselves, but to pass them on. And so everything you do, have in mind, there's a generation coming after me that I want to make this easier for them. I want to make it so that they can go further than I did. I had that heart when I went to Russia. I had that heart. Um, you know, I wanted to see others people go to Russia. Sure enough, other people have gone to Russia. I had to bushwhack. I had to blaze that. And I didn't go as far as some of them have, but praise God, they've gone further. They've done more. And my brothers that have gone after me, have accomplished much for the kingdom of God, and I'm happy that I got to help blaze that trail, and you guys get to do that. Okay? Cool. So that's all I got. Um, so, yeah, I'll turn over to Nate. Thanks, guys. I always like him doing that class. He does such a good job at it. Um, let's take a break, guys. Stretch. Um, <coughs> We're gonna we're gonna jump right back into a, another one here in just a minute, uh, just to try to keep uh, rolling here before lunch. But uh, take take a few minutes, take ten minutes, and uh, we'll get back together here at 10:50. Uh, actually, probably just after lunch, if you can, okay. Okay. yeah, if you can help. Um,